Welcome to the Beyond the Pearls podcast, based on the Morning Report series from Elsevier. This podcast has been adapted for audio in collaboration with series editor Dr. Raj Dasgupta, as well as the volume editor for each book. Each episode features an in-depth case dissection format and aims to deliver practical, concise, and easy-to-digest information. And now, here's today's episode. Hi, my name is Dr. Parastu Khalasi Hosseini. I am a pediatric resident at LA County, USC, and I will be reading for you Case 28, titled 19-Year-Old Female with Chronic Diarrhea, written by Dr. Kasisa and Dr. Pitsak. Let's begin. A 19-year-old female presents with four months of diarrhea. She describes the diarrhea as three to four yellow small-volume non-bloody stools per day. She also has abdominal pain that is not relieved by defecation. She describes the pain as cramping in nature and constant. She denies recent travel, human immunodeficiency virus infection, use of antibiotics, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and consumption of potentially contaminated drinking water or foods. So what is the differential diagnosis for chronic diarrhea? Chronic diarrhea in the absence of risks for common infections raises suspicion for inflammatory bowel disease, also known as IBD. IBD encompasses Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis. The hallmark of Crohn's disease is chronic diarrhea that is associated with poor growth, abdominal pain, and weight loss, whereas ulcerative colitis is typically associated with grossly bloody stools and lower abdominal cramping that is relieved with defecation. Other causes of diarrhea include infectious causes, which can be associated with both bloody and non-bloody stools. However, symptoms rarely last for months unless the patient has an underlying immunodeficiency. Recent travel, history of HIV infection, use of antibiotics and NSAIDs, and consumption of contaminated water raises suspicion for infectious causes of chronic diarrhea. Enteric infections with Shigella, Salmonella, Campylobacter, Mycobacterium, Yersinia species, E. coli, parasites, and amoebic pathogens should all be in the differential. Clostridium difficile infection should be considered, especially in patients recently treated with antibiotics. In this patient, however, the four months of diarrhea without a history of travel, immunosuppression, and antibiotic use is more concerning for a chronic inflammatory process. Time for a basic science clinical probe. Also on the differential is colitis due to mycobacterium tuberculosis, which is more common in persons from endemic areas and the immunocompromised. Only 25% of patients will have a chest radiograph showing evidence of active or healed pulmonary infection with an enteric mycobacterial infection. Going back to the case, case point 28.1, the patient reports a recent 15-pound weight loss, fatigue, intermittent fever, mouth sores, ankle pain, and swelling, and a rash on her bilateral shins. She denies cough, shortness of breath, chest pain, hematuria, night sweats, hemoptysis, chills, and changes in vision. So does the review of systems narrow the differential diagnosis? 
Fatigue, weight loss, abdominal pain, and fever are hallmark symptoms for IBD. She also has several complaints concerning for extraintestinal manifestations of IBD, including arthritis, skin manifestations such as erythema nodosum, and oral involvement such as aptos ulcers. She does not complain of eye involvement such as uveitis, although this may be asymptomatic. Time for a clinical pearl. Chronic respiratory symptoms should alert the clinician to a possible mycobacterial infection. Acute onset of symptoms is more consistent with an infectious cause. Back to the case. Case point 28.2. The family history is significant for Crohn's disease in her father. Time for a clinical pearl. Children of patients with IBD have a greater risk of developing the condition in comparison to the general population. A family history of autoimmune diseases and gastrointestinal cancers should also be elicited. Case point 28.3. On physical examination, she's a thin appearing female in no acute distress. She appears chronically ill. She has pale conjunctiva. Her oral examination is notable for multiple 0.5 millimeter ulcers on the tongue and upper and lower interior lips. Her abdomen is diffusely tender to palpation without rebound or guarding. She has no hepatosplenomegaly and no masses. She has an anal fissure, a 3cm perianal skin tag, and prolapsed rectal mucosa. No obvious fistula was seen. Her examination is significant for multiple tender erythematous nodules on both lower legs and swollen ankles, with pitting edema. This can be seen in figure 28.1. The remainder of her physical exam is normal. So what is the significance of the rectal examination? The rectal examination findings suggest Crohn's disease, which has many perianal complications such as fissures, fistulas, abscesses, and skin tags. Symptoms can vary from anal pain and discharge to frank bleeding and or incontinence. This can severely impact the quality of life. Approximately one-third of Crohn's patients develop these complications. Risk factors include an age of less than 40 years and being of non-Caucasian race. Time for a basic science clinical pearl. Anal fissures, tears in the lining of the anal canal distal to the dentate line, can be seen in approximately 20% of patients with Crohn's disease. They can be asymptomatic or can cause pain and bleeding. Another basic science or clinical pearl. One of the hallmarks of autoimmune disease is multi-system involvement. In our patient, there is involvement of her GI tract, skin, and joints. Time for case point 28.4. Laboratory testing reveals an elevated erythrocyte sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein level. Complete blood count reveals a microcytic anemia and thrombocytosis. Serum chemistries were notable for an albumin of 2.5 grams per deciliter, which is normally 3.5 to 5.5 for normal levels. Stool cultures are negative with negative acid fast bacilli, or mycobacterial species, as well as ova and parasites. Clostridium difficile toxin is negative. Antisaccharomyces cerevisiae antibodies are elevated. The P. anca is negative. Colonoscopy reveals friable mucosa with cobblestoning and exudates, 
with histopathology showing the presence of non-caseating granulomas, which can be seen in figure 28.3. Biopsy is negative for acid-fast bacilli. So what is the diagnosis? Crohn's disease. What is Crohn's disease? Crohn's disease is a transmural inflammatory process that can involve the gastrointestinal tract anywhere from the mouth to the anus. The most common site for Crohn's disease is the terminal ileum, which is involved in approximately 70% of pediatric patients. Patients with IBD classically have an abnormal CBC with a microcytic anemia and thrombocytosis. The microcytosis is due to iron deficiency from low iron absorption in the duodenum, if it's involved in the case of Crohn's disease, and chronic occult blood loss. Thrombocytosis with platelet counts exceeding 450 times 10 to the 9th per liter of circulating blood is common in inflammatory conditions. Time for basic science or clinical pearl. Platelet counts exceeding 1,000 times 10 to the 9 per liter have been described in patients with IBD. A low albumin level is a marker for protein losses in the stool. High levels of calprotectin and alpha-1 antitrypsin in stool tests can also indicate protein-losing enteropathy from intestinal inflammation. ASCA is more likely to be positive in Crohn's disease whereas P-Inca is more likely to be positive in ulcerative colitis. However, either autoantibody can be seen in either condition, so antibody testing should be used as an adjunct to aid your clinical diagnosis and should not be used for definitive diagnosis. Endoscopy with biopsy is a gold standard for the diagnosis of IBD. So how are Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis differentiated? In Crohn's disease, the inflammation is transmural. There is often perianal disease, internal rectal mucosal sparing, and skip areas, which are defined as normal areas between inflamed areas of mucosa, and a terminal ileum is often involved. Endoscopy can show edema, hemorrhage, aptos ulcers, cobblestoning, pseudoexidate, and discontinuous lesions. Pathologic examination will show a chronic mixed inflammation with lymphocytes, eosinophils, and sometimes neutrophils in crypt abscesses. Non-caseating granulomas with multinucleated giant cells are pathognomonic or prone disease. This can be seen in figure 28.3, which shows microscopic examination of a colonic biopsy revealing lymphocytic inflammation with granuloma formation. In ulcerative colitis, the rectum is usually involved, and the inflammation is continuous. Common findings on colonoscopy include erythema, edema, loss of vascular pattern, friability, spontaneous bleeding, granularity of mucosa, pseudopolyps, erosion, and ulcers. Crypt abscesses and granulomas are not characteristically present in the histology of ulcerative colitis. Of note, Tuberculous colitis can visually appear similar to IBD. However, histology typically shows caseating granuloma. Biopsies can also be stained specifically for acid-fast bacilli. Time for a clinical pearl. Colonoscopy is contraindicated in cases of severe inflammation with increased risk for bowel perforation. 
flexible sigmoidoscopy with biopsy and or magnetic resonance enterography or MRE are alternative procedures. So how would you initiate treatment? The choice of medication for the induction of disease remission is based on the severity of the presenting symptoms. For mild disease, aminosalicylates are the drug of choice, with antibiotics such as metronidazole or ciprofloxacin given for any perianal involvement. For moderate to severe disease, glucocorticoids, 6-mercaptopurine or exclusive enteral nutrition or EEN which provides all nutritional needs via an elemental antigen-free liquid formula, can be used. EEN is preferred for patients with growth failure given the adverse effects of glucocorticoids on growth. Other than diarrhea, EEN does not have any of the major side effects seen with glucocorticoids or other immunosuppressants. Severe disease can be treated with anti-tumor necrosis factor alpha antibodies, cyclosporin, methotrexate, and intravenous steroids. Time for a clinical pearl. For high-risk patients, defined as those with extensive small bowel disease, growth failure in mid to late puberty, severe perianal disease, or glucocorticoid unresponsive disease, early treatment with anti-TNF-alpha antibodies, such as infliximab, should be considered. Once disease remission is achieved, maintenance therapy is given. Maintenance generally starts with aminosalicylates if they were effective in controlling symptoms and reducing relapses. There are two options for moderate to severe disease. One is a step-up approach, which starts with thiopurines or methotrexate, and the other is a top-down approach, which starts with anti-TNF-alpha agents, thiopurines, cyclosporin, or methotrexate. Time for a clinical pearl. The top-down approach of starting maintenance therapy is associated with an increased risk of complications. However, the risk of short-term relapse and need for surgery is lower. So how should this patient be monitored? In addition to gastrointestinal symptomatology, all patients should be monitored for extraintestinal manifestation with routine eye, liver, joint, and skin examinations. Growth failure is common in those with IBD, especially Crohn's disease, and should be closely tracked in addition to nutritional status. Although some studies have shown low levels of vitamin A, E, D, zinc, and selenium in patients with moderate to severe disease, there is no consensus on the recommendation for screening. Iron deficiency is very common. Bone mineral density is often reduced in IBD, so many patients require vitamin D and calcium supplementation. There is no widely accepted recommendation for use of bone densitometry to screen for osteopenia. However, the presence of risk factors such as prolonged use of glucocorticoids, growth failure, and or history of fractures should be reasonable for indications. Clinical pearl. Liver diseases associated with IBD include primary sclerosing cholangitis, autoimmune hepatitis, steatosis, and amyloid deposition. Additionally, patients with ulcerative colitis are at increased risk of developing colon cancer and require annual colonoscopy starting at 7 to 10 years after the initial diagnosis. Time for our Beyond the Pearls. In Crohn's disease, some studies have demonstrated that aminosalicylates are no better than placebo for induction and maintenance therapies. 
The use of infliximab as early treatment in children with newly diagnosed Crohn's disease has been associated with high rates of remission when compared to immunomodulators such as 6-mercaptopurine, as well as improvement in linear growth, thought to be due to reduction of glucocorticoid exposure and fewer complications, including bowel surgery. All patients should be assessed for latent tuberculosis prior to starting glucocorticoids and anti-TNF-alpha antibody therapy. Immunity to hepatitis B, varicella, and measles viruses should also be assessed. Patients with IBD are at increased risk of developing nutritional complications, other autoimmune diseases, and colon cancer, and require long-term follow-up with specialists familiar with this disease. So let's conclude with our case summary. What was our complaint and history? A 19-year-old female presents with four months of diarrhea, abdominal pain, weight loss, mouth sores, ankle swelling, and a painful rash on her lower legs. Colonoscopy with biopsies confirms Crohn's disease. What were our findings? On physical examination, she is noted to be pale and thin. She has oral aptos ulcers, lower extremity edema, and erythema nodosa on her anterior shins. A rectal examination demonstrated an anal fissure and perianal skin tag. Laboratory tests are significant for an elevated sedimentation rate and C-reactive protein level, low albumin level, and a microcytic anemia. ASCA, IgG, and IgA are elevated. Colonoscopy reveals friable mucosa with cobblestoning and exudates. Histopathology shows a predominantly lymphocytic inflammation and the presence of non-caseating granulomas. Our diagnosis was Crohn's disease. Our treatment, induction with metronidazole and prednisone. Maintenance therapy with infliximab. And that concludes case 28. Again, this is Parastu Khalasi Hosseini. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Pearls podcast from Inside the Boards. This podcast is executive produced by Christopher Brightigan and Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice. Ars longa, vita brevis.